Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. And I want to let you know today, you can change your mind. And sometimes we, we have different views. We sometimes get into a, a process of thinking uh, that is sort of like stuck in a rut. And we're not open to maybe different perspectives. We want to just see things the way we've always seen the world. But you can change your mind. And I change my mind often. You know, I'll, I'll be thinking of a, uh, a certain thing, and uh, maybe it's about politics or about theology, and I, I examine it, I think through it. And sometimes I'll say, you know, my, my view has changed on this. And it's very important to have an open mind, especially today when we're on the brink, I think, in, in this country, in the United States, we're on the brink of accepting and embracing totalitarianism and uh, tyranny on both the left and the right. And it seems to me that people are just not thinking. They're just going along with whatever status quo they've, they've always gone with. They're not looking at things through, you know, uh, a filter of truth. They're just embracing it because they've always embraced it. And that's how tyranny happens. It's how totalitarian regimes take over countries. And it's happened time and time again throughout history. And I would encourage you, I read a book a couple years ago that really gave me a new perspective of what it means to be a, an American patriot. And I am an American patriot, uh, but I'm not a nationalist. And there's a huge difference between patriotism and nationalism. And this book, help me to understand the difference. And so I changed my mind on some things. And the book is entitled On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century by Timothy Schneider. And Timothy is the Levine Professor of History at Yale University. He's the author of Bloodlands, Europe Between Hitler and Stalin, and Black Earth, The Holocaust as History and Warning. Snyder is a member of the Committee on Conscience of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And so a fascinating little book. It's 126 pages. You can probably read it in the evening. And uh, it's just fascinating of how tyrannical regimes take over countries. And here's what it says in the back of the book. The founding fathers of the United States tried to protect us from the threat they knew, the tyranny that overcame ancient democracy. Today, our political order faces new threats, not unlike the totalitarianism of the 20th century. We are no wiser than the Europeans who saw democracy yield to fascism, Nazism, or communism. Our one advantage is that we might learn from their experience. And, uh, but often, in my experience, I don't think people learn from the past. They don't study history. They don't connect the dots. They, they establish a worldview based on, you know, maybe their family traits or the way they've thought historically. They don't think through things. They don't 
Uh, they, they're not in a position of, of, of a willing position to change their mind. They become very, very dogmatic. And that's very dangerous. And we're seeing that today in both the American left and the American right. And what's, what's frightening to me today, uh, I always thought this way, that, hey, you know, as an evangelical believing Christian, I'm really concerned about the left. And that became my target, you know, examining what the left was doing, or the left was thinking, new ideologies that were coming down the pike. But in the last two years or so, my views have changed. And I'm beginning to look at the right. And in the right, there are totalitarian totalitarian um, views that are that are coming down the pike and if we don't think through these things if we don't listen to what people are saying we could easily whether you're on the left politically or on the right politically you could easily embrace totalitarianism and tyranny and so that's my concern today is that we become all of us thinking people and we don't accept things just the way they are. And we have a willingness to change our mind on some views. And so uh, I encourage you to read this book, On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century by Timothy Snyder. And so I want to talk about these things today. I want to talk about uh, this particular issue that on the, on the left, uh, the left is moving what I, in the speed of a tropical storm, the right is moving at the speed of a hurricane. And right now, you know, if you look at, you know, the dangers of tyranny, it's mainly coming from the right today. The far right in America uh, is where this is coming from. And a lot of it has to do with anti-Semitism. And you can, you can look at a movement and if a movement has the root of anti-Semitism, be it left or right, and, and presently there's anti-Semitism on both the left and both the right. But the right, uh, the far right, their anti-Semitism is being expressed today with much more violent rhetoric. And in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says, uh, whoever blesses Israel, I will bless. Whoever curses Israel, I will curse. And God uses the same word for bless, but he uses two different Hebrew words for curse. And one of the words is arar. That's, tra- that's a Hebrew translation of curse. And it simply means fruitless, to wither, or to become powerless. The other word God uses is kalel. And that word means contempt or to belittle, or to um, delegitimize. And so what God says to the nations, who he's speaking to Israel, whoever kalels you, uh, they will be arar. Whoever curses you, they will be cursed. And so what God is saying is, whoever shows you contempt to Israel, to the Jewish people, whoever shows you contempt, I will cause uh, to be fruitless, to wither, and to become powerless. And we've seen that nation after nation after nation that has embraced tyranny and totalitarianism. One of the uh, roots of it is anti-Semitism. And they will begin to speak against the Jewish people. 
they'll put yellow stars on the Jewish people and segregate them from the rest of society. They'll, like the Nazis did, they'll put uh, signs on Jewish shops. This is a Jewish shop. Boycott this shop. And so we're seeing that on the right today. Many evangelical people on the right are speaking out against uh, Jewish people. They, they target uh, maybe Jewish uh, left-leaning leaders, and uh, they begin to speak uh, words of anti-Semitism against them. So I want to hear today from an eyewitness. And there's an eyewitness that we can uh, refer to. And again, it's very important that we read the tea leaves, that we, we don't just accept everything uh, the way we've always viewed it, but uh, we examine history. We want to connect the dots. And if we don't learn from history, history is bound to repeat itself. And I firmly believe today that history uh, is repeating itself. The history of European countries is beginning to, re- um, to reinvent itself again, this time in the United States, and we're just a few steps away from totalitarianism in this country. So let's listen to a eyewitness. His name is Franklin Littell. He was a leader uh, in his lifetime of Holocaust studies, a theologian, a minister in the United Methodist Church. And after the war, World War II, he was commissioned by uh, the chief Protestant, um, he was commissioned as the chief Protestant religious advisor to the high command. And so he was sent to Germany by the United States High Command to try to denazify German Christians. And, and you hear that phrase, denazify German Christians, and you think, well, that's impossible. I mean, the Christians in Germany were not Nazis. And the truth is, yes, they were. And I've heard so many Christians say that's impossible. Baptized Christians were not involved in any way in the Holocaust. They would have never embraced tyranny. They were God-fearing Christians in Germany. And I want to say to those that would say such things, where are you getting your information? Obviously, you, you have not studied history. And when you study the history of the Holocaust, you realize Hitler did not act alone. I mean, how did Hitler kill six million people? The entire country of Germany was very religious. Probably um, 90% of the people in, in uh, Germany were baptized Christians. They went to church on Sunday morning. They taught Sunday school. They sang in the choir. And yet baptized Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, were guilty of genocide. They, they were the ones that poured the gas in the gas chamber. Remember the, the guards in, in uh, the death camp. There were 3,000 female guards that persecuted uh, Jewish women. There was uh, thousands and thousands of male uh, German guards that persecuted Jewish men and, and murdered uh, children. And so how did this happen? How did a nation embrace Nazi ideology? And so Franklin Littell spent 10 years in Germany, chief Protestant religious advisor to the high command, and he studied the architects of the final solution. Did you know that the, the architects that, that wrote the final solution to annihilate European Jewry, they were all baptized Christians. Most of them had PhDs. Three of them were medical doctors. 
And so Franklin, he examined all this for 10 years, and he talks about this in an interview he had with Yad Vashem. Those of you who have been to Israel, you've been to the Yad Vashem um, Holocaust Museum Memorial in Jerusalem. And so in an interview with Yad Vashem, uh, Franklin Littell says there were three streams of German Christianity that, that were a, a part of that nation during the Holocaust. The first stream is the German Christian movement. And su- not surprisingly, the majority of Protestant Christian churches and Catholic Christian churches and denominations and seminaries embraced the German Christian movement. And this church was territorial, it was nationalistic, according to Littell, and it was vehemently anti-Semitic. And these folks willingly submitted to Hitler and the Nazis. And these are bishops, they're pastors, they're theological seminary professors. They begged the Nazis to hang swastikas from their pulpits on Sunday morning. They, they became very nationalistic, very anti-Semitic, and that was the majority of German Christians during the Holocaust. The second group was a much smaller group, according to Littell, after 10 years of interviews of theologians, bishops, Catholic priests, uh, evangelical Protestant pastors, and uh, they informed him of you know how they came to their conclusions and they were firsthand witnesses of genocide. And they said, you know, we embraced it. And yes, we poured the gas in the gas chambers. Yes, we murdered Jews uh, by the millions. And uh, the second group was, was called the Confessing Church. That was the second stream, much smaller than the German Christian movement. And this church, the Confessing Church, held that German Christian Uh, movement was heretical. They said, you know, the majority of Christians in our country, Germany, they've gone to the dark side. They have embraced Nazism, which we believe is is heresy. And they proclaimed that the German Christian movement, there were Germans first and Christians second. And in an interview with Yad Vashem in July of 1998, uh, Franklin Littell said, the Confessing Church saw its purpose as maintaining and defending the integrity of doctrine and the church as an institution. And according to Littell, the confessing church placed the institution of the church above any concern for the mass murder of Jews. They preached triumphalism, that the church had triumphed over the Jewish people. They preached replacement theology, and they were unwilling, uh, completely unwilling, to stand up for their Jewish brothers and sisters who were being sent to the gas chambers. They said, that's not our objective. Uh, Our objective is simply to preserve the institution and the integrity of the doctrine of uh, the church, the confessing church. And so there was a third stream, a much smaller stream of remnant Christians. It was a handful, only a handful And the leaders of this movement, and you'll recognize this name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Another was uh, the theologian Karl Barth. And another was Pastor Niemöller. And Niemöller said after the war, uh, Barth and Niemöller left Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stayed. 
and protested against the Nazis. But Niemöller would say after the war that Christians are, he said, our hands are stained with Jewish blood, and we are much more responsible than the SS, than the National Social Movement, and the Nazis, because we didn't do anything. We stood idly by as six million Jews were sent to the the gas chambers. And uh, Littell says this in the interview, the attack on the Jews was a dividing line, and they tried to give the confessing church synod the impulse or the courage to tackle the issue of Jewish suffering at the hands of the Nazis. They did not, and Bonhoeffer therefore refused to sign the protocol proposed by the leaders of the confessing church. And so, of course, Bonhoeffer later, because of his protest against the Nazis, he went uh, to his own death and was, was shot and executed by the Nazis for protesting, for standing up against their ideology. And again, I'll, I'll say it again, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And often history um, just keeps repeating itself. And, and some people say, well, history repeats itself. And let me rephrase that. History does not repeat itself, but historical patterns repeat themselves. And we see historical patterns repeating time and time and time again throughout history. We see it in uh, Europe. One European country after the next would embrace uh, totalitarianism like the Nazis, uh, tyranny. And so we see the same three patterns uh, in America today within the church world. We see um, a, na- a, a strong nationalistic church rising in America, which I believe is very, very dangerous. And this nationalism is highly anti-Semitic. It is Zionistic, yes, it supports the state of Israel for theological reasons, but it has deep roots of anti-Semitism. And uh, there's another group that I would call the the evangelical Christian left that is preaching replacement theology, trying to basically protect the institutions that are crumbling within the the um, the Protestant left. The many denominations uh, we see this in the United Methodist Church right now. That denomination is splitting right down the middle over moral issues and over the issue of Israel. The, the United Methodist left, they're very anti-Zionistic, they're anti-Israel. The evangelical Methodist right, they're pro-Israel. And so that denomination is splitting over the issue of Israel. It's one of the main issues that is splitting the denomination. And I followed this for the last 20 years at the United Methodist annual conventions. Um, There's only a handful of of small remnant of pastors that are standing up against uh, this ideology of anti-Zionism within United Methodism. But today it's just gone too far and and, uh, the left... Uh, leaning pastors and churches within United Methodist movement. They're uh, basically calling the shots, and there's this rupture, and uh, many of the United Methodist churches are leaving the denomination. They're calling themselves Methodist rather than United Methodist, and they're not willing to go along with the status quo. And, and I say three cheers to that 
small remnant of United Methodist. You know what they're doing? They're thinking, and they are connecting the dots of history. As Franklin Littell, a great United Methodist pastor back in the um, day, you know, when there was conservatism within the United Methodist movement and there was pro-Israelism within the United Methodist movement, he was a thinking pastor. And in his 10 years in Germany, he, he changed his mind. And he said, you know, what I thought was conservative Christianity, conservative evangelical Christianity, they embraced tyranny and totalitarianism and were guilty of genocide. And so that's what's happening within America today. There's this rupture happening within the church, and it's often over the issue of Israel. And there's many Christian Zionists, not all, but many of them, they love the state of Israel, but they don't have an affinity for Jews or Judaism. And many put America above their Christianity. And when Christianity becomes nationalistic, it never goes well for Jews. And you can research this. Look up Father Coughlin in the 1930s. Father Coughlin was a Catholic priest. He had a radio program called The Hour of Power. He was uh, supported by Henry Ford. He, uh, who, Henry Ford, who published the very anti-Semitic uh, booklets called The Elders, the, I'm sorry, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Charles Lindbergh was in this uh, anti-Zionistic, anti-Semitic crowd. And so Father Coughlin, uh, for years in his radio broadcast, preached anti-Semitism. And he told... Uh, his listeners, and by the way, he had 30 million weekly listeners to his Hour of Power radio program, 30 million. And that's at a time when United States was about 110 million people. 30 million listened to his rantings and his ravings against the Jews. He was a Christian nationalist, and um, he was proclaiming that the Jews are coming into America. They're going to replace uh, Christians and they're going to bring in their um, communistic Bolshevism into the United States and destroy Christianity. And so fear is a, is a very strong emotion. So many, many Christians embrace the anti-Semitic leanings of Father Charles Coughlin. And at the same time, there was a group in Boston, Massachusetts called the Christian Front. And these people had gone extreme nationalistic. They were embracing the Nazis. They were embracing fascism. And they were declaring, we are going to, by force of fiat, make America a Christian nation. They had bombs. They had uh, weapons. And finally, they were arrested by the FBI because they were talking about uh, a tyrannical uh, takeover of the United States of America. And so we see these two movements growing today within the church. We see a strong Christian nationalism front, much like uh, the Christian front of the 1930s in Boston, much like Father Coughlin's 1930s hour of power right here in the United States. You can look this up. Look up the Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden. It was in 1938. Uh, watch it. You can see it on YouTube. The uh, Nazi rally 
of uh, Madison Square Garden. I think it was in 1937-1938. It was after the shooting started of of Jews in Europe. It was after uh, Kristallnacht when Jewish synagogues were burned in Germany. And so the Nazi rally proclaimed that we are, in the background of this rally, there were thousands and thousands of Christians who attended. There was a huge picture of uh, George Washington, and the guy gets up, the leader of this Nazi party, Christian Nazi party, and he says, um, our objective is to basically remove Jews from all government positions in the United States. And then he began to preach this fear of communistic Bolshevism uh, led by Jews that was going to take over uh, America. So those same, that same rhetoric is being fomented today by the far-right Christian nationalists. They're proclaiming that the, w- there's a Jew coup happening in this country. Very anti-Semitic statement. And so, again, we have to be people that are willing to change our mind and look at this through the eyes of truth and examine what is really happening in our country. Listen to the rhetoric. Listen to the voices. And at this time, there is a small remnant of Christians, and I want to be a part of this remnant of Christians. And it's, it's kind of like the difference between Ruth and Orpha. And you remember in the book of Ruth, there were two Gentile women that uh, were married to the sons of Naomi. The sons died. Naomi's husband passed away. And Naomi, the Jew, was going back to Bethlehem. And uh, there was a, it was a time of great famine, but there was bread in Bethlehem. And so she was on her way back, and uh, Orpha and Ruth were following her. And she said to both her daughters-in-law, which were Moabitess women, said, go back to your, your own country. Don't follow me back to Israel. Go back to your kindred and your people. And Orpha, her name means the back of the neck. She turned her back on her uh, ailing mother-in-law, Naomi, who was broken and hurting. She turned her back on Naomi. But Ruth, her name means friend. And Ruth said in Ruth 1.16, Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people, uh, your God my God, and only death will separate you from me. And so she went back to Bethlehem at a time of, of harvest with her mother-in-law, and she became the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. Amazing story. So we're either going to be like Orpha in these days and... Uh, show the back of our neck to the Jewish people, or we're going to be like Ruth, a friend, and stand with them unto death. And so I would encourage you today, as we wrap up this podcast, that listen to the rhetoric. Listen to the rhetoric from the evangelical left. If you're part of a, uh, a denomination or a church that does not embrace Israel, that has rejected the Jewish people. Listen to what they say. Read uh, your denominational newsletters. Find information that may talk about uh, Israel in a negative light. And remember, those who curse Israel will be cursed. So if your denomination is showing contempt to the Jewish people, then that is a covering over your life. And uh, whoever shows contempt, I will cause to wither 
and uh, become fruitless. So I don't want to be fruitless and wither in my life. I want to be a friend of the Jewish people and of Israel. So if you're on the, the, the right-leaning denominations in America, listen to what your, your, you know, the far right is saying. If you're in an evangelical church that's getting up and preaching politics every Sunday and preaching one form or brand of Christian nationalism, uh, and and talking about you know we're going to forcefully make America a Christian nation again. Listen to what they're saying, and remember that's what happened in Nazi Germany. Churches began to preach in nationalism. Uh, adherents to those churches embraced it, and soon a tyrant was risen to power. And again, within this country, we're a step away from uh, from tyranny. And so these are just uh, issues that we need to think through, issues that we need to uh, be able to say, I'm, I can willingly change my mind on, on some issues and embrace truth. And don't worry about being in a small minority. It's, it's always the, the small minority, just a handful of people that can change history for the better. And um, John Stuart Mill said, let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. He is not a good man who without a protest allows wrong to be committed in his name and with the means which he helps to supply because he will not trouble himself to use his mind on the subject. A person may cause evil to others not only by his actions by, but by his inaction and in either case he is justly accountable to them for the injury. And so remember what he says here. Um, there, some people are just not willing to use their mind on the subject, to look at things intellectually, connect historical dots. They just simply want to believe the status quo. Uh, my friend Dale Brown, who was the coach of LSU, uh, the stadium at LSU is, is now named after uh, the, the great coach Dale Brown. And uh, Dale, of course, was Shaquille O'Neal's coach. And he went to Auschwitz uh, several years ago with his wife. He was walking through the museum at Auschwitz. He became ill to see uh, man's inhumanity to man. And he said to his wife, I've, I've got to get out of this museum. I've got to get some fresh air. So he went out to a courtyard, and he kept repeating to himself, how could this happen? How could a nation of Christians embrace tyranny and totalitarianism that they would come to the place of committing genocide how did this happen and he leaned his hand against one of the railroad ties that was uh, in the ground vertically and his hand touched something and it was a plaque and the plaque said the road to Auschwitz was built by hate but paved with indifference and you see, we cannot be indifferent in this day. We cannot be indifferent to truth. We cannot be indifferent to history. We must be thinking people. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
And so you and I, we have to be advocates for Jewish existence because the world wants to murder every Jew on this planet. Anti-Semitism is growing within the evangelical left in this country, within the evangelical right. And there's got to be a remnant of Bonhoeffer-type Christians that can see through the smokescreen and uh, find out what the truth is and change their minds if they have to in order uh, to be people of, of compassion and people of truth. So that's my story for today. And uh, I hope you come back next time. I hope I didn't blow you away today with these thoughts. But get the book. I encourage you to. It's, it's fascinating. Some of it you'll agree with. Some of it you won't. It's entitled On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. And one chapter in this book, he goes into the difference between being a nationalist and a patriot. And you'll see, and hopefully you're going to say, you know what, I'm a patriot, but I certainly don't want to embrace nationalism. So get the book On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder, and we'll see you next time on Israel and You. Bye-bye for now.